0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. It's great to have you with us. Today I'm pleased to bring you a conversation that I have with Peter Anderson. Peter leads City on a Hill Church in Edinburgh as well as the Go Global family of churches. Many of us in New Ground are connected with him when he came to our conference Ashburnham in 2019. He's married to Angie and his dad to Becky and Michael. And it was such a joy to talk with Pete. You know, there are some people who, after you meet them or speak to them, they, without really trying to or meaning to, they, they just, they make you want to pray more and spend time more with God. Well, Pete... He's one of those people and our time together did me and has done me since the world of good. Thank you so much, Pete. And now before I hand over to that conversation, however, I want to just let you know about a conference that I'm involved with and that's taking place in July. If you're someone who's interested in communicating the gospel in the modern age, or if you're passionate about preaching and about learning to preach well, or if you enjoy dipping into the past to learn lessons for the present and trying to crane ahead, looking beyond the curve of the future to see what's coming, then in that case, I'd love to invite you to join us down on the sunny south coast of England at King's Church Eastbourne for a conference that we're calling the Dead Preachers Society. I know, it's a cool title, right? The Dead Preachers Society, hosted by John Wood, who's due to appear on the podcast soon and who runs the School of Preachers Trust with special guests, Ben Virgo, who's been on the podcast, and David Hilborn, the chair of the Evangelical Theological Advisory Group. Together, we're gonna be learning lessons from some great thinkers of Christian past to learn how we can more effectively share the gospel of Jesus with people in the 21st century. It's happening on the 5th and 6th of July and costs just 70 pounds per person and includes lunch on both days and dinner on the Tuesday. We would love to see you there. For more information and to sign up, go to www.deadpreachers.com. More information about that will be in the description to today's episode. We'd love to have you, as I say. Okay, well, for now, here's Peter Anderson in what is, I'm sure, going to be a very fruitful, refreshing and inspiring conversation for you. Enjoy. Pete, it's great to have you with us. Absolute joy, Jess. Yeah, I love the podcast, so it's a, it's, it's a real privilege to be a part of it. Great. Well, it's always nice to meet the listener. Welcome. Um, well, Pete, well, there's lots of things we're going to want to talk about today, um, but to kind of gently ease us into getting to know yourself and your world a bit more, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, how you became a Christian and involved in church leadership?
1: Yes, so I grew up in, in Glasgow, Jess. I, um, every Sunday, my parents... Took me to the local Presbyterian church, and so I I believe that God was there, um, but I wasn't following Him. When I was in my mid-teens, two of my friends had dramatic conversion experiences, and uh, and that got my attention. And I remember one evening um, having just hung out with them and listened to their stories. I took a shortcut across to to where I live down a little lane. I used to hide beer in the long grass there, so my parents wouldn't find it. And I stopped in that spot, and I and I uh, I, I made a decision. Jesus, I'm I'm, I'm no longer going to live a double life. I'm going to follow you. And I, I poured out the beer; it was like a drink offering unto the Lord. <laughs> so I made a decision. God, I'm I'm going to follow you. And that was it. I repented, and I I just started. That was it. I started following Jesus, and I I started reading the Bible and uh just as i was reading the bible i was excited and thrilled by what i saw uh first time properly reading it you, you heard the stories and so on as a kid in Sunday school but first time properly reading it and specifically thrilled with what god wanted to do with his church just it was like he was painting a picture in the canvas of my heart of what church could be and should be and um, yeah and, and it thrilled me so yeah that was that was the that was the beginnings and uh shortly after that i started, you know, just again, reading scripture, I noticed that people who got saved were baptized. Now I was christened as a kid, um, as, as many people will have from more traditional backgrounds. But I, I knew that having come to faith, I hadn't been baptized. So I, I, there was a local gypsy Pentecostal church in a neighboring town. And I, I knew the pastor there and he had baptisms coming up. So I asked, could, could you baptize me? So I, I was baptized there uh, when I was 16. And uh, around about the same time as that, I had an experience of the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, part of it, I wasn't part of a church that spoke about the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit, but, but I saw it in, in the verses. And in fact, I remember um, one evening, Jez, I was lying in my bath reading through the book of Acts and seeing how people were saved and filled, baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I just it dawned on me, why, would, why wouldn't God do that now? And so... So I, I ran across to my friend Brian's house. So I just I got I got out of the bath, dried off, put my clothes on, and <laughs> ran across to my friend Brian's house. And I, I said, Brian, uh, would you look at this? And we I showed him some of the verses I've been reading. I said, Do you think God would do this for us? And um, like me, he wasn't from a charismatic Pentecostal background, but we we saw it in the verses, and we got on our knees and we prayed. And I had an experience in his in his bedroom. Of, it wasn't hugely dramatic. I just remember suddenly, we know God's everywhere, but suddenly, oh, He's really here. And we know those moments, oh, He's really here. And something happened here. And the next thing I knew, I was I was speaking a language I'd never learned. And uh, yeah, so that, that, that was that was the that was the beginnings of of my Christian faith. And um, so it's, it's quite encouraging these days when I'm I'm teaching these things. For example, I'm teaching on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm able to say to people, Listen, I'm not teaching this because we happen to be in a charismatic church. I believe this because it's in the Bible. And uh, and so that's always an encouragement. Me. Mm. And so Did that make
0: quite a big impact on your Christian
1: life as well? Oh, colossal. Absolutely huge. I mean, speaking in tongues is one of those things where you, 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 well, Paul, the apostle says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. <laughs> Your mind can't really get round it, but uh, it's like you're doing a bench press on the inside when you're praying in tongues. You're building yourself up on the inside. So, that, so I spend considerable periods of time in my devotions praying in tongues. Uh, that that will be, I think. I think I'm actually praying in tongues more. I mean, that, that's when I was 16. I'm now 46. I think I'm praying in tongues more now than I ever did, even back then. Um, I, I I think I could. There's a few a few African intercessors, but I think I could almost say to my church. I pray in tongues more than you all. I think I've got most of them. There's a couple of we've got the the guy who heads up our intercession team is called Emperor. What a great name. (laughs) But but I think he's got me.
0: But apart from that, I think I've got the rest of my church. Um, well, you mentioned your devotional life there. And one of the things I love to learn about people is how they structure their life in God. You know, I know it's just from looking at your church website, how regularly you're giving out in preaching. That's obviously one of your primary gifts and primary ways you're leading and serving the church. So how do you, while giving out so much like that, make sure that you yourself are remaining full of the spirit and excited about God for yourself? How do you look after your own spiritual health?
1: Yeah, so I, in fact, I remember I mean, I've always taken time in the mornings to pray and, and start the day with God. I've always done that, but when my kids came along, now my daughter Becky is now twenty, and my son's eighteen. So this is way back two decades ago when they were just born. I, I, I used to get up fairly early to pray, but they got up earlier than me. <laughs> I thought, this is this is ruining my my kind of Zen quiet time. So. Um, so I I realized I'm gonna to have to get up even earlier if I'm gonna get any time with God. So I started setting my alarm at crazy o'clock and I would wake up and have an hour before they woke up. And and I I got into the rut of doing that. And I managed to sustain that rut for 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 a couple for several decades. So yeah, the alarm goes off at quarter to six and and I have and I have time with God. And it, usually my time with God will involve a walk because I find if I sit in my house and try and do time with God, I fall asleep, So which isn't the most beneficial. So so I go out, uh, and in Scottish weather, you know, I'll get wrapped up, and I'll go out, I'll be nice and warm, and I'll just pray. And I usually pray through the Lord's Prayer. So I just uh, start with adoration and then work my way through the Lord's Prayer over the course of that time, uh, praying through different things, different areas of responsibility I'm carrying for my family, praying for churches, praying for the church I lead, praying for situations around the world, political situations. And then, um, and and I also, I, I quite often will listen to the Bible uh, using the version app, especially if it's a narrative. So I'll quite often listen to that. But then when I get part of my reading, then will be, I'll get back to the house, having done my walk, and then I'll get into the New Testament and the Psalms, where I'll actually, I want to read it myself and digest it. Because sometimes when you're listening to it, you miss the detail. And um, so if it's a narrative. I enjoy listening. But when it's the more theology or a psalm, I want to actually not have it read to me. I want to read it out as a prayer, prayer to God. So that, that's that's how it goes. And, yeah, it's just, it's an absolute lifeline.
0: Yeah. And you live in Edinburgh, do you? In the city itself. Yeah. yeah. So presumably, I mean, again, I've seen videos of you preaching in Edinburgh and the way you talk about your city, you clearly have a great love love for it. Uh, and would you say that that's cultivated by that practice of walking around the city regularly, praying for it, getting to know the streets? How important do you think that is for yourself and for pastors in general, actually, when it comes to loving the place that they live?
1: That's that's a great point. We... I really believe in prayer walking, not just around my area, but actually prayer walking the streets of my city. I've got a good friend in Glasgow. He's uh, Brian Ingram. He passes a church called We Hope Church. And he 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 does this thing once a year where when everyone's going to sleep, he'll go out for a walk and he'll walk around the entire circumference of Glasgow uh, through the night and arrive back home in the morning for breakfast And he'll do that a couple of times a year where he'll just pray over the whole city and and literally take a lap. And sometimes I'll take a day to fast and pray and I'll do that around Edinburgh. I'll just walk around the entire circumference of the city, take a a wide circumference around the city and pray over the areas. And and when we've launched new locations into different parts of Edinburgh, as we've planted various locations for the church, um, we, we would typically go into the areas and prayer walk the areas for several months ahead of doing anything public. And then we would also evangelize. So we'd prayer walk and pray for the people, pray for the streets, pray for the, for the population. And also evangelize or sometimes do a survey. And then sometimes the survey would be a way into evangelism. So we would do those things. And uh, so I I, I'm a, I really believe in the spiritual power of actually putting your feet on the turf and walking the grounds and praying over uh, the population and letting the people of the city get under your skin and just, and, and, you know, feeling what God feels for them. So,
0: yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's lots I'd like to talk about, keep talking about prayer, but just while we're on that subject of loving the city and the place that you're in, what, what other. Uh, you know we'll come on to talk about the church that you're pastoring and yourself you're very evangelistically engaged even now just the way that you're talking you can tell that you're you've thought through your use of language in describing spiritual realities because you're very obviously used to communicating to those outside the faith um, so what are some things that you would recommend to people to help them both love the place that they live but then also just learning to listen to and engage with people outside of christianity
1: yeah, I think it's you've got to. I think leaders have got to model it to start with. I think y- you've got to have your Christian mates, and then you've got to have your non-Christian mates because that's what Jesus did. And I don't know if Jesus would have called them Christian mates, <laughs> but <laughs> my mates, <laughs> you, you, yeah, his disciples. So um, the, the is it Mike Green talks about the different shapes of discipleship. He, he talks about the triangle up, in, and out, and I found that always really helpful, so up is about the father, in is about the disciples, and out is about the unsaved, and Jesus was that, Jesus was all about the father, up, he was totally all about the disciples, the church, in, and out, he was about the unchurched, he was the friend of sinners, and that that was so controversial for, for someone of Jesus' stature to be a friend of sinners, and so you see the balance, but so many Christians are just about the up and in. They're they're totally connected with God and they love the church community, but they have no connection with the unchurched. And then you got other people who are about they're about the in and the out. They're they love they're just extroverts, they love being around people, whether it's church people or non-church people, but they're pretty shallow when it comes to God. That's just not like Jesus, because Jesus had that connection. And and so to have balance, we want to have all three. So and I feel it's got to start with pastors and leaders. We've got to I know we talk about being evangelistic in Edinburgh, but I don't see myself as an evangelist. I really am not. Um, I don't think that's my my calling, but I have a passion for evangelism. And so I try my best to be good friends with people who don't know Jesus. And that, that helps on so many levels. It helps me. Um, I do my sermon prep, typically in coffee shops, because I want to be around the people who I'm, I'm thinking, how is this going to help these people? And, uh, but, but partly also in coffee shops because I want to see people come to Christ. So I've, I've seen many people who have baristas coming to church, and and and, and people who have met in coffee shops uh, have great spiritual conversations with them. So so I think first of all it's going to be modelled from there, and then worked out. But yeah, one of the things that when I when I've taught in evangelism, in fact I think when I was at Ashburnham, uh, I, I talked about this this three step process that I, that I think is really helpful for evangelism. And I remember it was Jay John that first shared this, and I remember it's all stuck with me. He talks about pray, care, share, and you pray. So first of all, you're praying for people. You're carrying people in your heart. You're carrying. You're praying for non-Christians every day. So there are people who uh, I've, I've got in my heart, friends, family members. Actually, some people who don't even know, but I, I just keep seeing them and I pray for them. So people who need to get saved and you, you just you just you start allowing yourself to feel what god feels about the lost people and then number 2 uh, you care you just look for every opportunity to demonstrate the love of god in scotland we say it's better felt than telt so you people got to feel it before they are ready to hear it and um so you just I, I remember when we when we just started the church in edinburgh I was we were in our little flat at haymarket and it was a saturday it was a bright Saturday morning and I was out cleaning my, my, my golf. It was, it was I was cleaning the car and uh, around the corner came this Indian couple and they were really heavy laden. They had rucksacks and suitcases and uh, I could see they were struggling. So I, I went over, put my bucket down and went over and said, can I help you with your, your, your bags? Yeah, yeah of course. We appreciate that. And so I helped them carry their bags. And they I said, where are you going? And they pointed at my stairwell and said, All right, we're going to be neighbours. So I took them all the way to the top floor and with their luggage, and they said, "We're so grateful to you. We've been in the UK for two weeks and no one showed us any kindness until now. So thank you so much." Uh, And when they knew that I lived downstairs with my wife, they said, "Why don't we would love to have you over for a curry?" And I said, "Oh, I'd love to come over for a curry." (laughs) So we went round for a curry a few weeks later, and uh, Jess, I have to say, it was it was the hottest curry I've ever tasted in my life, and. We experienced that curry for several days following. <laughs> and, uh, but in the in the conversation, they, they asked, so well, what do you do? And I said that I was I was working as an architect, but we were also leading this church. And so they said, we'd love to come to your church. So they came along a few Sundays after that on a Sunday evening. And at the end, they gave an opportunity, as I always do, uh, if people wanted to accept Jesus and the Indian lady. A Hindu, from a Hindu background, she put her hand up, and and prayed the prayer. And afterwards, she said, "Peter, it, I felt like fire going through me as I prayed that." And so she she was so impacted by that. But it, it, I mean, how did that all happen? It just helped happen because I happened to chin up and notice someone. You know, so we're often going through life like this. But just chin up. Anyone can carry someone's suitcases. You know, it's it's pretty simple stuff, and just those simple things. Pray. Care every opportunity you get. Whenever you see someone in needs, you know whether you know them or not. In your workplace, someone's ill. You be the first to bring a meal to their house or visit them in the hospital. Pray, care, and then share. And that and kind of the two has paved the way for that next bit. And you're going to get the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So, so I try and model that. I try and live that. And um, and in the church, to be honest, we 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 try and do both bits. We we we'll, we do a lot for. And the precious poor in our city. Um, And that would be everything from food parcels to working with the homeless teams or partnering with organizations. But one of the things we always say is we will never do, we will never just help the poor. We will always look for an opportunity to also share the gospel. So if, for example, there's an opportunity to help people, but they say, but by the way, you can't talk about Jesus, then we'll not do it. Because if I truly care for that person, I don't just care for their physical predicament. I really care for their soul. So we're really we're quite strong in that because there's, there's so much opportunity. We just won't take any opportunities unless we can involve the gospel. But having said that, when if people don't want to hear the gospel, that's okay. We'll still help you. So it's, there's no, no strings attached. It's not like we'll we'll help you in condition we can preach to you. Uh, no, that's that's really worked. It, it's we want to help you because we love you, but also because we love you, <laughs> we want to tell you about Jesus because we care for your body and your
0: your soul. Mm. And so this, uh, I I know from looking at your, um, your vision statement as a church, you said that you have a, a vision to be a relevant and significant church that sees the lost one and the one winning throughout Edinburgh. Is that one winning concept, this idea of um being engaged with the those outside the church and winning people to faith, uh, is that what's behind that? And how what does it look like for you as a church? How do you build a church where the members are very engaged in the city and in the lives of the people around them? Yeah, so the lost one and the one winning, that's, that's a phrase actually
1: my wife came up with in the early stages of our church. And it, it just it, it conveys the heart. We want to see the lost people coming to christ they're one and then we want to see now they're one we want to see them winning and i don't we don't mean that in a hey you can be a winner kind of consumeristic sense but we mean it in, in if you if you're truly winning it means you're looking like jesus it's it's there on their discipleship journey we want to help people grow in maturity in christ and uh, become all that god wants them to be so that's that's the heartbeat behind that and yeah so we you know like all churches we want to do that better we want to make disciples. We don't just want to gather a crowd. We want to do everything we can to to raise up and make disciples. But that's how from the very beginnings of our church it started with as a discipleship movement. That's how that's how the church began in those early days
0: as 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 a disciple-making movement. And so what um are there certain kind of things or it uh, probably flows throughout your whole church, I suppose, but I, I, I gather from just things that you've said, you regularly are seeing a lot of Uns- previously unsaved, unchurched people coming to faith. I think before we started recording, you said that the majority of people who join your church are, are previously unchurched. Um, so a lot of churches have a vision. I mean, we've all got the vision of making disciples, um but it seems to me that you're actually doing it out of pre- people who previously weren't disciples rather than a, a lot of churches happen to see a lot of growth through church transfer. Um, what is it that you're doing that seems to be working well for you?
1: Yeah, so. Do you know, Jez, I think the reality is that in every church, every every urban church, we, you see growth for many reasons. We we do see people come from one church to another church, and, and that, that kind of works both ways. There's, there's an ebb and flow of that. But we never go after that, and we always try and treat that with respect, out of love for the other churches. Um, But our predominant growth, I would say, has been people coming to faith or coming back to faith or coming to the city looking for a church. That's, that's been our predominant growth. And over the years, we we'd I mean we, we stopped counting several years ago, but up until several years ago, we'd seen over four thousand people make a gospel response um, in our services. And those gospel responses would be either first time decision or a recommitment, um, or some people make gospel response to say, "I think that was a really good message." So I raise my hand. So there's a whole mix as there always is uh, in these things, but, but a considerable number. For example, people who are who have planted churches from us came to came to Christ originally from us at, uh, in the church. Chris and Sarah, um, Sarah was a backslidden pastor's daughter from Poland, and her she was living with her non-Christian boyfriends. He was, and they were both on drugs. He's a DJ, and they're they're doing their thing down in in the Leith area of Edinburgh, and just through a series of events, they ended up coming to our church and come to Christ. We had the privilege of baptizing them and then helping them grow in Christ. They became leaders and then eventually they were sent back and they're, they're in Poland leading a church. And so that's part of our, our global family of churches. So it's a joy to see people not just come to Christ but grow in that journey. And I think it's actually a lot to do with our definition of discipleship. A lot of people think that discipleship is a members-only experience. But you know when Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28 – We'll make disciples of all nations. I don't think they were thinking, okay, he's asking us to find some believers and make them into better believers. <laughs> they knew he wasn't saying that. They knew that, wow, he's asking us to go and find people, pagans, Romans, um, zealous Jews, and, his, and bring them to this faith in Jesus. So they knew that the starting point of evangel- discipleship was evangelism. And that's an important definition of. Of discipleship so too many people start one step in but no no true discipleship starts with evangelism uh, steve, it was steve murrell who wrote the great book wiki church he said if you try and separate the siamese twins of discipleship and evangelism you effectively kill them both and um, you cannot have discipleship without evangelism the starting point of discipleship is is evangelism and so um so we believe that as a church and we we, we try and help people then grow it in their faith and then the the full the full circle is that they then go in turn and reach people f- for jesus so I, I guess as i said earlier i'm not an evangelist but one of the things i, I try and do in all in every preach is I weave the gospel through no matter what, what i'm preaching on or teaching on i know, i've also trained the other preachers and teachers in our church who are who are preaching and teaching no matter what text you're preaching on um always arrive at jesus so I, I see it like i'll tell you some secrets i see it like i'm fishing and so i'm every so often i'm putting the bait in front of the fish in the middle of the preach and on my preaching notes you'll see i actually have a cross at a couple of points in my in my preach and at those points i'll go off on a gospel tangent i'll tell them that they're sinners and they're in a really bad predicament but God so loved them that, that Jesus paid the price for them on the cross. No one else has done that for you. And he's alive. And at the end of this message, I'll give you an opportunity to make the biggest decision of your life and respond to that. And then I'll, I'll maybe do that once or twice during the message so that they're, now they might not listen to anything else I'm saying, but at those two points, they, oh, wow, they, they perk up. Whereas the believers at that point might, oh, here he goes. <laughs> I hope they don't think that, but they they, they might, they might just that becomes familiar for them but at the end then there's a a gospel response that i I lead people in and then we follow them up and i guess that and so every sunday i do an altar call and that's there's, there's no there's no silver bullet here there's not like okay, everyone needs to do it that way for me that's the way it works for me because for me that's me expressing my faith my faith is god i want you to save someone every week at least oh god would it not be every day so that's for me i need to have something i can do with that faith i can't just just i just don't just want to have it on the inside i want to actually give it arms and legs so for me an altar call is a tangible way of me expressing my faith god this is my expression of faith i'm believing you to save souls just now and the the other thing it does is it also raises the expectation in the congregation because then they're expecting people to get saved and also helps them to think, oh, I could bring someone to this gathering because each week you're going to hear this. And the other thing it does, Jez, and this has been really cool, I remember one of our church members uh, years ago said to me, Pete, this week I led my friend to Jesus, and she was so excited. And uh, she said, I was in this conversation with my friend, and my friend said, okay, I would like to accept Jesus. And Peter, in that moment, I just remembered what you say in that prayer Every Sunday. So sure. <laughs> without realizing it, our church have memorized this. <laughs> and so they're able to articulate a, a salvation prayer with their friends. So that's great. But the other, the other great spin-off, is, is our church is very gospel-centered. There's never a Sunday where they do not hear the greatest news ever. That we're sinners, but Jesus died for sinners and he died on the cross as a substitutionary atonement. And the third day he resurrected and through trusting him and him alone, not yourself you can be saved and it's free and it's complete grace and it's amazing it's radical so every week we talk about that so our church knows the gospel and it protects the church from legalism it protects the church from all right i'm gonna i'm serving in the church here today because i have to no it's because of all it's all about this so and it's not that that's that we will teach on many themes. You know, we, we did, did a series in the Book of Revelation re- recently. We've done a series on relationships. So it's not like we just focus on that whole thing. It's just that every message we're teaching on, we'll make sure the gospel is woven through it. Um, but, Jez, also I know that um, for me, that that's the big win isn't that I can lead people to Jesus on a Sunday and we've seen thousands do that. The big win is if the people of God can then carry that heart into the community that's the big one um so i remember alan scott's uh, previous pastor at causeway coast he he described it as a goal post and he said the left hand post left hands post says is is about um getting the outsiders in and how, how do you get the outsiders in but the right hand post is how do you get the insiders out <laughs> and the, in the crossbar he said is the holy spirit And he said that your goal is You want to get the outsiders in, absolutely, and see them come to faith. And I think we do that very effectively. But we also want to get the insiders out and how do we actually equip the saints to the work of service and help them be evangelistic and share their story. And and the reality is, Jez, no one does it well. We all, every time I have a conversation with someone in a coffee shop, I always think afterwards, "I I should have said that. You know, or you think, oh no, if only I'd remembered that thing to say. And so, but everyone does it. Everyone thinks, oh, I could have done it better. But thank God, it's not down to the skill of the farmer. It's the power of the seed. And no matter how, we can say it in a fumbling way, just get the seed out there and there's power in that seed. And um, so, yeah, I I just want to encourage our church and, and God's people to be like that.
0: Wow, that's brilliant. There's so much in there. That's superb. Thank you. And I mean, you say you're not an evangelist, but the two or three times you just did an altar call, there, I found myself. I found myself wanting to respond. I'll become a Christian, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suppose what 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 I pick up from just spending this time with you already is that you are an. A massive encourager just you you speaking is encouraging it's literally adding courage to me but you can tell that you also really care about people um and so like you said we, we often might train people in apologetics how to answer difficult questions whereas a lot of that is irrelevant actually that an individual needs to know that they're loved and that's what i i pick up already from you is that you you seem uh, you seem to be a pastor who loves people and loves the people of God and wants to see them equipped and grown. Um, where does that come from, and how do you cultivate a love for people? No, you've been a pastor. I think you said earlier for for twenty three years. How do you maintain a, an enthusiastic, encouraging love for the people of God when no doubt you'll have experienced many discouragements along the way as well? That's a great question. Um, do you know? Uh, I I think I I think the power of Scripture
1: is 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 so is so pertinent. I I think God and His Word shapes your life, and I remember one of the early experiences I had. I was again it was just after I had become a Christian, and I was in Glasgow City Centre with my friends. We were out. It was just two two teenage lads out for the afternoon in Glasgow. I, I can't remember. I, th- I think we were doing some shopping and or going to the cinema or something like that. And my friend had become a Christian as well, and he was, he was really radical. Anyway, we walked past this homeless guy who was in a wheelchair, and uh, my friend said, oh, let's take him for lunch. And I thought, oh, I, I was, quite honestly, I was a bit awkward about it, because the guy, he, he, he really stank. He was an old guy, stank of urine, and he was in this wheelchair. It, it, it wasn't cool. But Brian said, let's let's take him for lunch. So I thought, "Okay, let's go. So we we took him for lunch to the St Enoch Centre in Glasgow City Centre. And we sat, the three of us, having lunch. And I was feeling really awkward. I'm just being honest. I was was thinking, what if friends from school see me? um, This is really weird being with this guy. And then after lunch, I thought, "Okay, we've done our good deed. Let's just get on with our afternoon. But Brian, that was an inside thought. Brian continued to spend the afternoon with this guy so I spend the afternoon with this guy and I come home thinking what a wasted afternoon in Glasgow and I come back to my my bible that evening in those days when I was a teenager I used to do my bible reading at night time and the next verse in the bible plan was Luke 16 which described Lazarus and the rich man how Lazarus was this poor guy at the rich man's gate and he had sores and he was a bit detestable and and the rich man wouldn't even give him the food that the dogs got. And the, the rich man looked down on them all his days. And the punchline was the rich man went to Hades in torment and Lazarus went to paradise and in Abraham's in, in the presence of God. And I read this and it was me. And Jez, I just remember falling on my knees in my bedroom, weeping and just utterly broken because I saw me in scripture. And I was changed in that moment. I was changed. And um, God shifted me big style, and all of a sudden, I had this heart for. It was I, also, I was a bit of a snob, and then I had this heart for just people. So I remember that was a. And actually, I thank God that He did that because our church is is you know full of a huge range of people from um, from the poorest of the poor to very wealthy people, and from every different nationality you can imagine. It's a hugely international church. But, but thank God he he broke my heart in that area and fruit so it was scripture. It was it was God and his words. It was the Holy Spirit working on me. and um, you know you can't we can't muster up that love. We've got it's, it's God's love, isn't it? It's a fruit? Um, and the tree doesn't try really hard to bear the fruit. It just it just happens by virtue of the fact it's planted in the right soil and getting the right nourishment, which is God's word and God's spirit. And so he changes our hearts and lives. So so I, if if I have a love for people, it's because um, he broke me in that area when I was a teenager.
0: Mm. And, and even that experience as a teenager, you know, we, we all know what it's like to walk past someone sitting on the street asking for money. And it's easy to harden your heart against those people, isn't it? And particularly in in ministry, I suppose, it can be easy to harden your heart against the people of God when they disappoint you. They let you down. You know, we've all walked through the pandemic, which um, has been hugely challenging in lots of ways. But I know for pastors, they found it hugely discouraging in many ways as well. Um, So how do you how do you make sure that you don't harden your heart and you keep soft towards people when they may give you plenty of reason to harden your heart to protect yourself or to you know we might call it pragmatism or we might call it wisdom you think oh we won't you know we'll we'll keep them at arm's length or how do you navigate that?
1: Uh you know what Yes I think it's to do with your view of people, including yourself. Um so if you have if you're a disillusion you'll become disillusioned if you have a wrong illusion. And if, if your illusion of people, including yourself, is that we're somehow we're always going to be faithful and dependable and never let anyone down, then, um, you know, so it, well, that's not people. People are broken. And I, I even look at myself and think, I hardly even trust myself. I mean, I say, I'm going to do this, and then I don't follow through with it. So, I mean, what, what's that all about? I hardly even trust myself. So why would I want to totally trust another person? And I don't mean that, that I'm walking around cynically. Uh, I remember someone saying that, you know, you can give God 10 out of 10 trust, but people... Okay, you can give them eight out of 10, and uh, you can give that person three out of 10, but you can love them. You can love them 10 out of 10. So trust God and love people. And so, having a, an understanding that actually, if, if, if you expect people are going to be, oh, this is going to be the perfect community or this perfect church, this is going to be the perfect church. No one's going to let me down in this church. It's not going to be like those churches. It's going to be the great church. But actually, the reality is uh, just like yourself. It's full the church is full of people, and so guaranteed you're going to be let down and you might even get hurt. And that's the that's the grittiness of this thing called the body of Christ. And um and I, I just love that God is committed to his church, he calls it his bride, calls it his body, and it yeah, it's pretty messed up, and yet he's utterly committed to it. So I think our our sights have got to go above people and look at God. And if people they find Um, total satisfaction in God, the one who is completely faithful. And then from that connection with God, we instantly, it's koinonia, we have this shared uh, relationship with each other. It's it's because our eyes are not on each other. It's because our eyes are on him. And by virtue of that, we become united with each other. And that that becomes a solid foundation for unity. If unity is about looking at each other and saying, okay, I'm going to really like you, Primary, there's nothing wrong with that, but that can't be the primary basis of it. It's got to be, I love Jesus. And then from that, the unity flows. And I mean, there's so many people, isn't there, Jess, all over the UK and, and the Western world where they've given up on church because of hypocrisy. And I, I, I kind of want to ask them, well, what, what did you expect? <laughs> what did you expect in the first place? Because you're pretty fickle and well, the churches. So, but don't quit on God, what God hasn't quit on. Don't condemn what Jesus died to justify. Um, and, and there's a lot, it's, it's pretty trendy these days to say, oh yeah, I like Jesus. I just don't like the church. I mean, that would be like saying to your wife, honey, I like your head. I just don't like your body. <laughs> like Jesus, you're you're great, Jesus. I just don't like your body. It's just like that would not go down well. <laughs> The the, the difference is between you and Jesus is that Jesus loves his body and he loves he calls it his bride. He died for it and he knows it's imperfect. And so don't quit on what God won't quit on. Love this thing called the local church. It's pretty it's pretty rough at the edges. But that, but actually, that's that in itself is a testimony that God is it's, it's a display of God's grace, that God is working among this rough people. And and the other thing, Jez, yes, the way I see it as well is I, I think. I encourage believers, throw yourself into your church, throw yourself into that messy group called your church. In fact, deliberately be in a small group that are full of people not like you. Every small group's got someone in it who is really annoying. Every small group's got it, but God's put them there to help you become more like Jesus. And I think God's work of sanctification in our life, there's some things that God can only do in our lives in terms of sanctification in the context of a local church. This, this, this you will be deficient as a believer if you try and do your Christianity apart from the local church, because there's something you that can only happen in your life in terms of God sanctifying work in your life that only happens when you're rubbing shoulders with people who are totally different to you, who may have offended you and you had to journey forgiveness, or who maybe totally let you, maybe it was the leaders who let you down and you have to journey that forgiveness. And but then God does his work. I think it was Tim Keller said, um, you know, you can techni- you can be a Christian without the local church, technically. You can technically be a Christian without the local church, but you can't live the Christian life without the local church because there's so many one another's, love one another, have compassion for one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. that you can't live unless, unless you're part of a community, an ecclesia uh, of God's people.
0: It's really helpful, Peter. There's so much wisdom and encouragement here. Um, I think as well, a plant for those who plant churches or are in small churches is a helpful reminder that our. Our connection with one another isn't based solely around common interest, friendship based groups, you know, because we hear that's that's the challenge for smaller churches. We think, well, there's there's no one here who's the same age as my child or there's not a big youth group here or there's no one here like me that, I'm, that I have shared, I'm a friend. I've got no friends here, people might say. And of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting friends in church. But what we're talking about in unity is something bigger and deeper than than mere friendship it's actually about a a spiritual connection you're right by having our eyes on the lord and then finding a shared love for one another and that's something that seems to be we we're losing that in society people are choosing the groups that they join based on if there are people who like the same thing that they do um and the thing that glues us together is like you said it's the shared work of god in each of us that's changing us and that is that is beautiful um well, in in a couple of the the illustrations you've used about the way that God's impacted your life, it's clear that the the supernatural dynamic of the Holy Spirit in you, working in you to change your heart or to baptize you, is is a, plays a large part in um, in your Christian walk. Um, and yet, you're also a church that's really evangelistically engaged with a love for the people. Can you talk to us about what what a church looks like that is both red hot for the for the gifts and the presence of the Spirit? And also, um, isn't strange for outsiders. Um, how do you navigate that?
1: Oh, That's a great question. Um, yeah, so first of all, I, I believe it's completely possible. Uh, if I, it was, do you know, I, I, th- I thought it was really encouraged by Dave Holden's wife, Liz Holden's testimony. I was chatting to Liz uh, recently, and she was describing how she was a backslidden Christian and she came to a church service. And at the church service, someone turned to her and brought her a word, and the word was what caused her to come back to faith in Jesus. Uh, and so, so it was, it was an incredible moment, and and it was that it was that word of knowledge that they brought her to faith. And so it was just like in the book in the Corinthians, where where Paul says, you know, they will fall down and say, "Surely God is among you." So I, yeah, I, I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for are for the context of reaching believer, building up believers, but also reaching the unbelievers. And I, I talked earlier about pray, care, share. Sometimes care can be a practical thing you do for someone, carrying their suitcases. Or care could be something supernatural you do for them. Where you just as okay, you see someone who's hungry, you could give them physically food. If you see someone, you see their need, but their need isn't something physical, it's they need a healing or they need direction, then that same love of God in you wants to meet that need. So I, I, that, that's that's why Paul talks about uh, follow the way of love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, because it's out of love for people that those gifts of the spirit flow.
0: Um,
1: I, probably a good example of it, Jez, I remember my, I took my father to a hearing test uh, in, in Boots, and we went in and we We got to know the guy who was doing his hearing and he had his various checkups and so on. And in the course of the conversation it came out, I I was with my dad, dad's in his nineties. I was with my dad and it came out that I was the leader of a church. So that, that started a wee conversation. But anyway, that was that three months later, we went back for the follow-up appointment where dad was getting his hearing aids put in. And at that follow-up appointment, he, the guy who was doing the hearing uh, test for dad, he said, Oh, by the way, I'm selling, I've got a collection of guitars. I'm selling my guitars. Uh, Would anyone in your church like a guitar? Because he understood that all Christians play guitars. (laughs) So I said, so why are you selling your guitars? Because these were, it was Gibson, Les Paul guitars and pretty cool guitars. I said, why are you selling guitars? He said, oh, I've got carpal tunnel syndrome in my my hands and my wrists. I've got pain. I can no longer play my guitars. I'm having to sell them. And I said, well... Well, that's okay but would you mind if me and my dad pray for your wrists and hands and ask that god would heal him and he said okay so we did so we, right there in, in boots the it was the it was the hearing department of boots we prayed for this guy and and then that was it and so we went away dad had his hearing aids and six months later we went back for the follow-up checkup and and he said to me just so you know i've been telling everyone about your church now he he never came to church himself but he's telling everyone about the church because God had healed his hands. He hadn't had any pain in his hands, all the numbness. He's able to play his guitars again, didn't need to sell them. He was completely healed uh, <laughs> in a hearing appointment. I, I should have laid hands on dad and prayed for his hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love that. I, I totally love that. And, and so we like, like I know what I love about New Frontiers is your passion to not just be theoretically charismatic, but actually in you turn up at a New Frontiers church, I almost guarantee any churchy turn up in New Frontiers, um, there will be gifts of the Holy Spirit in the service, because because that's New Testament Christianity, and uh, so we we have the same. We believe in that, and and far from turning non Christians away, it actually attracts people, because more often than not, the words that have been brought from the front are just landing, and they're and they're landing well. And what 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 often we'll do is when we're having a gathered church, we will quite often it will mostly be the leaders in a certain in a larger gathering. It mostly be the leaders who would bring the words, and because of that, then it's it's, it they will know how to articulate it in a way that isn't full of jargon and religiousness. Also, if you model it like well, uh, then actually then people will learn. Okay, that's how you move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit without suddenly hey the Lord says and, and changing your voice and adds thus saith the Lord and various things that just put strange obstacles in people's ways so modeling it well in a good in, in a church gathering actually far from putting people off attracts people
0: mm, and just practically then what when when do you do that? Is it part of the worship time? Do you do it in like after the sermon? Is it ministry time? Uh, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's various ways, various means. But what practical advice would you have for pastors on on their Sunday gathering and how to lead the gift, lead and kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Shepherd the gifts of the Spirit like that. And
1: um, we, we would we would do it after we would have worship time, and then we would do it after the worship time. Uh, people are focused on the Lord. Uh, people's hearts are more open because of worship, and also it's quite often during that worship time that that pictures or words or revelations will come to people. Um, so we would do it typically after that. But to be honest, Jazz, I can't think of a movement better than New Frontiers at modelling this. So I, th- I think you should do a whole podcast on h- how do you do that well in a New Frontiers church because. You guys do that so, so well. And do you know the other thing to say in this, Jez, is uh, personally, and and I would say this for for anyone there, I, I think the ball's in our court when it comes to moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, that verse in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says, follow the way of love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That sounds to me like God's putting the ball in your court. He's saying, come on, do you want this or not? I don't think it's up to God. I think it's up to us. I think God's already decided, I want to speak. I want to bless people in this gathering. And so I, what I find is, is, is that when I take time and say, Lord, what are you saying? Then I, I can't think of a time when God wouldn't give me something. Quite often at, um, at the beginning of my preach, I'll, I'll bring words of knowledge. So while, while there'll be gifts of the spirit in the worship time, quite often before I preach, I'll bring a word of knowledge or a few things. And usually that comes to me. I'll quite often either have a pen and paper or have my phone, just because when they come, when the words of knowledge come, I find they come quite quickly. It's like they come like flashes through your minds. <laughs> I've got to write them down uh, to, to try and get them all down. And then I'll I'll either have that in the lectern when I stand up there, and as I pray, before I preach, I'll maybe mention, I just sense there was this here and this here. And and it's been quite amazing to see some of the, the impacts. I remember the funniest one was, I remember one Sunday preaching in our Leith location in Edinburgh, I had, I, God, God had given me five words. I just remember it was five words. And all, all you know, it, I can't remember what they all were, but I remember what the last one was. And it was hair loss. And I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't read that out, God. <laughs> because I thought half of the guys in the audience would say, no way, how did you know, Pastor? <laughs> so it's such a strange word. So I had these five words, and I knew one of them was hair loss. But I, and I wrote them all down in the worship time. And when I stood up to preach, I, I read out the, the first four and uh, and I, 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 I bottled it, I, I couldn't read the, the hair loss out. And then I got on with the preach and at the end of the, the meeting, there was people coming forward for prayer. And as as always happens, people are responding to the words. But then this lady came forward and she had a bandana on her head and um, an African lady. And she said, Pete, uh, I'm really embarrassed. My hair has been falling out in clumps. Uh, over the last few months so to be honest I just decided to shave it all off and um, could you please pray for me I said no way so I got my piece of paper and said look God told me you were here and uh, I didn't read it out because all the dudes in the auditorium would rush forward at the end so I, cu- I couldn't do that but uh, God knew you were here and that so encouraged her and God healed her God completely healed her she her hair started growing back not normally and um, and yeah so precious lady lives in Edinburgh so
0: Oh, wow. And it's a really helpful reminder that, you know, what people are after when they come to church is to meet with God, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not actually for coffee and an inspiring message. They want to meet with God. And the inspiring message is supposed to lead us to God. It's supposed to show us the gospel with the people are supposed to come and see God's people full of God's spirit, making room for God to move in people's lives. So that's beautiful. That's really helpful. I think one thing that I felt to ask you about, and maybe it's linked to this as well, is it's just the the whole concept of how you as a pastor, particularly of a of a large, we might say large organization or a co- complex organization with that many people, that many things going on. How do you decide upon your and structure your priorities um, to make sure that things like eagerly desiring the gifts of the spirit don't just get squeezed to the kind of last oh quick where to write something down before the church happens before the church meets what what are some some pieces of advice you give to pastors on how to just structure their life in God to make sure that they're the things that they really believe are important remain a focus for them in their week-to-week life
1: uh, that's a great question yes and, and and actually especially in the early stages and I, I understand that when the church gets bigger and so so I'm I've got, I wear three hats. I lead a local church and um, I, I oversee the our also a, a prayer movement in our in our region. So Edinburgh, Lothian's and five pastors prayer. We, we gather every week to pray. And then I also oversee a family of churches uh, around the world. So I wear three hats. But but the, and, and that's complex. But actually, the principles were right from the earliest days when I was working as an architect and trying to plan a church. I mean, it doesn't get harder. It's, it's just it's just different now. you still got 24 hours in the day uh, and you still got to make it happen. And I remember it, it felt like, you know, the circus acts when you get the guys spinning plates and you just knew, man, some of these are going to drop. And uh, you almost had to decide which ones you were willing to drop, but which ones you were not willing to drop. Because um, life was busy with a career. And, and again, I know many church planters, they start by working in a career and church planting at the same time. So you're trying to, you know, I was just newly married. My little girl, Becky, had been born. And so you, you don't want to drop those plates. So what do you focus on? And to be honest, um, yes, don't tell anyone else. But I decided I'll not be the best pastor, but I will be the best disciple. So in other words, I made it, I almost made a choice that people might shout, we need you, we need you, we need you. And I might not always be as available as people want. That, that might drop because I'm not going to neglect my wife and I've got my nine to five job. I have to do my, my job and I've got a daughter. I'm not going to be the best pastor. Maybe but I will make disciples. And I, and I, so I remember I gave the best of my time to the potential leaders. And so what I did was I actually used my lunch breaks when I was an architect um, th- maybe three out of the five days in the week, I would meet someone in my lunch break and we'd, go, we'd have our sandwiches. We'd go for a one hour walk. And it'd be a different guy each day. And then next week it'd be a different set of three guys. And the, when I meet someone, I'd say, let's meet again in two or three weeks' time. And I would choose one thing to talk about with each person. So for this person it might be, I want to talk to you, but let's let's talk about identity in Christ. And we would, we would talk that through. Or this person would be, they're struggling with a sexual sin. So let's let's talk about that and talk put some accountability. And at the end of our time, we'd say, well, listen, listen, can we pick up that conversation in a couple of weeks' time? Can we meet you again at lunchtime? And I just made disciples, and I look back into those those days, and those are the guys who became the the elders, the preachers. Uh, Some of them became church planters. Uh, Several of them became church planters, worship leaders. In a small church, a high proportion of people went on to become significant leaders, and they're the people I gave my best to. And it wasn't I didn't care, as I said earlier hopefully I do care for people it wasn't because I didn't care for the needy people it was just I knew the best thing I could do for the needy people is raise up an army of people to care for them rather than me do it myself and um, because if, if I just got stuck in that I could have been it could have been we could have even stuck in never taking ground never breaking out of of the small zone we were in into the next layer and so it, it raising up The the leaders and Jesus did that. Jesus loved the crowds. He loved the huge crowds. But he gave his best to the twelve. In fact, he gave his very best to the three. And in doing so, he changed the world. And I I think for me, that that prioritizing and to be honest, in one sense, nothing's changed. So uh, what I do now is I prioritize working with church leaders and church planters. That's that's what my, my priority of time. And it's not that I don't care for the for the flock. It's it's that there's other pastors now caring for the flock, and there's location pastors for each of our locations, and and but but, but I try and focus my time to raise up disciples, and so for me that's the priority.
0: And uh, how. I mean, it sounds like as well, that's quite closely linked to um, who you felt God, or sorry, what you felt God call you to do from an early age. I think you you shared it before we started recording that you felt God call you quite early on to be someone who was going to plant churches and lead an apostolic movement, although you wouldn't have used that word. So how important do you think is a kind of a settled self-awareness of what God's called you to do and therefore not to do for leaders? Because a lot of people could hear that and go well my gift is to is to be a pastor and to try to do that house to house thing a lot more than just the the specialist leader to leader thing which seems to be something that's born much more out of your personal sense of call cool anyway so how would you help people discern for themselves the personal call cool that God, the, the person the things that god is calling them specifically to do so they can decide what not to do does that make sense i've waffled a bit there <laughs> no
1: no completely and,
0: but I think I think focus is
1: always important, and I think knowing who God's called you to be, and that gives you a to-do list, but also gives you a to-not-do list. Hmm. And you've got to have both. You've got to be able to say yes to certain things and no to certain things. And that's whether you're an apostle, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're a teacher. You've got to stay within your zone, and you've got to give yourself to the things that you're meant to do. And that that that's, that, that focuses hugely hugely important and so um yeah f- f- for me raising up and planting churches has always been the focus but for a- absolutely the people who have got that, their-, their calling is a shepherd a pastor you know for them to focus in on their calling and to go with that flow is going to bear so much fruit but what i would say is no matter what the calling <clears throat> ephesians four eleven, god has given us his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints to the works of the ministry. So no matter what the calling is, whether you're a pastor, you're not just there to do the, the pastoring. You're there to equip God's people to be pastors. So are your people becoming pastors? Or Because what you don't want is you don't want them to become pastor dependent. So it, it could be that you're just doing such a great job of pastoring that actually people become pastor dependent, which isn't the maturity you want to raise them into. So the best pastoring isn't just being a great pastor. It's also raising up great pastors. Uh, The best evangelists aren't just the ones who win people for Jesus. It's they're also developing an evangelistic passion in God's people. It's how do you replicate what you, how do you give it away? How do you get someone else to do what what, what you're carrying? And so I, I think the replication piece
0: is applicable to every gifting and every
1: emphasis that God develops in people's lives. So, um, reproduce yourself
0: that's really helpful yeah i love all the little things you're throwing out there there's so many things that people are going to need to go back and listen to this again to take notes because there's so many little tools and things that you've thrown out for us even that to not do list i love that a to-do list because so often we sit down what do i need to do today but actually what do i not need to do what should i definitely avoid doing <laughs> very helpful
1: and it's hard it's because it, it's because you want to say
0: yes to people you want to say yes i find that so hard yeah, give us some help on that, actually, because as I look at my own heart, I think one of the things I struggle with most is feeling like I need to do everything So I don't want to let people down. I don't want people to... And actually, I know it comes from pride. I don't want people to think badly of me. How have you... What are some things that you would, you would advise on how to get through on that?
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure <laughs> on
0: that. I don't know if I've got, I don't <laughs> got the best answers on that
1: one. I mean, having having a team... So I guess when you're leading a church and people see you as the leader, they they will often gravitate towards you as the person where they think to talk to Pete is going to give me the best help I can get. And I know that's not the case because I know there are far better pastors than me in my team, far better pastors. But also I know that probably when that precious person in the church talks through their challenge, they don't just need one meeting. They're going to need to follow have a follow up meeting the week after to see how it's going and the week after and so they might feel short-term satisfied oh I got my meeting with Pete but actually longer term what's going to help them more is the journey with the pastor who's got who is their focus and it's their calling to meet you week on week and build that and so it's actually thinking what is going to be best for this person and then it's it's putting that in place for them yeah and it's it's also not just trying to be focused yourself and be focused should never be an arrogant thing that I am I'm I'm, I'm above giving time in any of these things. No, not at all. It's about actually if we can be focused for the glory of God, then everyone wins and the the body of Christ is built up. And, you know, whether it's a small group leader or a church member or a pastor or um, a movement leader, being focused is the key. It's
0: really helpful, Pete. I mean, our our time together is up, um, but just before we go, I'd love to know some other anything else that might be on your heart that you'd want to share or ways that we can connect with you or people can pray for what you're doing at the moment
1: yeah I guess one, one thing that I think would be encouraging for people to hear is a growing sense of unity um, and I'm, I'm mindful of and aware of um, and it's not just up here in Scotland but talking with leaders down in in England and various parts of the UK there is a growing sense of unity among uh, the people of God which is Deeply encouraging, because I, I know where that, according to scripture, goes. You know, it talks in the Psalms, Psalm 133, about with his ble- with his unity, God commands blessing. And uh, and Jesus' prayer, Lord, let them be one, Father, let them be one, uh, that the world may believe. So it feels to me that unity precedes revival. Unity precedes an awakening. And so what we're seeing on the ground in, in Scotland, uh, we, we have a a whatsapp group with 121 pastors and leaders from around edinburgh lothians and fife and every week between 30 and 40 of us every week we'll pray for an hour we've done this for four years now we pray and petition god for his kingdom to come in our region every week and that same rhythm and momentum is happening over in glasgow um, up in inverness over in perth dundee there's prayer groups and actually every couple of months we're now pulling them all together so we pray across the nation uh, for the entire nation and this is a spectrum of churches these would be churches bible believing churches so that that would be our that would be our common unity and it would be uh, you know everything from apostolic churches elam churches uh, the redeemed church of god and new frontiers whole spectrum of churches but just uniting and Presbyterian churches Baptist churches the free Church of Scotland some of the great guys are praying every week and the the free church guys are praying alongside the redeemed church guys and um you know very very different out, out working of their faith and expression of christianity and yet deep passion for the gospel for the cross for the church succeeding for the kingdom of God coming so we're seeing that we're really encouraged to see that and um and i, th- I think it starts at a leadership level but then it goes down to every layer and um, so I'm seeing that up here and I'm seeing that, that down in various other parts of the UK. And I, I guess, Jez, yes, all I would say is just I'm, I'm really thrilled to see that. And I believe that that is a really good sign of what of it's a precursor to God doing something great. When the people of God are praying and there's unity, I think uh, something good is on the horizon.
0: Oh, wow. Well, Pete, we're so grateful for your friendship as a as a family of churches. I know the guys in Edinburgh speak so highly of you. Uh, we loved having you with us a couple of years ago. Hopefully we'll get to spend more time with you. Um, how can we pray for you specifically, the people who are listening to this? Well, that's very kind.
1: Um, we are going, we're, we've gone through a big transition as a church in Edinburgh. And um, that's been very challenging, but also very exciting. And we really believe God's in it. So please be praying for us as City on a Hill. Please be praying for, I guess, a year ago, Go Global didn't exist. And this is this family of churches I always see. It's just now 16 churches in Africa, Asia, and Europe. And uh, and so this is a new world for me. So please be praying for that. And it's exciting. And uh, there's great things on the horizon, but it's also all very new. So, and, you know, there's nothing like that to keep you depending on God, but I need I need His wisdom. So yeah, prayers for that would really be appreciated. And I love love fellowshipping with you guys as well, Newgrounds, uh, the team, Dave and Liz, but also the the bigger picture of New Frontiers with Terry and Wendy, and and the the healthy example of church leadership that you guys have set over the years is an inspiration to the body of Christ. You can build healthy family churches, biblical, spirit-filled, Word and Spirit churches. There's a great emphasis. I love it. I mean, it's it's music to my ears. I think it, I think it pleases God as well.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Yeah, great to hang out.